Well, thank you. It is good to be here. You can be seated uh, today. Uh, it is a privilege to be here with you. Uh, just a few weeks ago, Pastor Leo was at my church in Scottsdale, Arizona, and uh, he's preached to, uh, to the people of impact for the last several years. And so uh, I wanted to tell you a little bit about myself before I get to the message. Uh, first of all, as Pastor Leo mentioned, uh, I pastor a church. It's called Impact Church. It's in Arizona, Scottsdale. Has anybody ever been to Arizona at all? Okay, a few of you. Anybody ever been to Scottsdale? Okay, a few of you. Anybody ever been to Zurich? Yeah, everybody. Okay, good, everybody. Well, um, our church, it started as a Bible study for professional athletes. In fact, uh, NFL, football, uh, we had a Bible study that was just for football players and that eventually opened to the public, and so that is our church, Impact Church. And so if you wanna check it out, you can check it out on your own at impactchurch.com. It has become one of the fastest growing churches in the United States, and so uh, it is uh, a great privilege to be a part of something that God is doing, just like what God is doing right here at ICF. And you guys know that you have a great church here in ICF. Uh, you have a great church because it has great people and because it has great pastors. Pastor Leo, Pastor Susanna, how about a round of applause for those guys because they are tremendous people who do a great job. Uh, I thought I would uh, start with a, a couple of pictures of my family. My wife could not be here uh, as she got sick right before we left and so uh, she usually comes with me each year, uh, but I do have a picture. This uh, picture here is of my wife uh, and I. Her name is Natalie, and, uh, and so uh, she, uh, she wishes she could be here. This next picture is a picture of my whole family. I have three kids, and so Kylie is 16, Josiah is 14, and Jazzy is 7, and uh, this is my family. And, uh, and so my son is here with me today. Jojo, wave your hand. This is Jojo in the front row. So he came with me. And, uh, and, so, and so I'm a pastor of a church. I also pastor uh, pro athletes. And so I do Bible studies and worship services for NBA players, uh, NBA teams, uh, also for our local Arizona Cardinals football team. And, uh, and so uh, I got a couple of pictures uh, that I can show you of that. This one is my kids with a famous basketball player. You guys all know Kobe Bryant. And so uh, this was Kobe's last, sun uh, last Sunday. This was his last game in uh, Phoenix. And so uh, my kids took a picture with him. And, uh, and then last but not least, uh, this next picture, you also know this man, the Big Shaq. We call him the Big Shaqtis in Arizona. And, uh, but this picture, you could tell how big Shaq is. Look at my fingers and then look at his fingers. He's a big dude. And so uh, I want to have you turn your Bibles on or uh, take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark chapter 4. And today I want to talk to you about something that's been heavy on my heart for uh, quite a few weeks now. And that is the storms of life. We all go through the storms of life. Some of you today are in the middle of a storm. You're in the middle of a storm. Storms are part of the seasons of life. They're part of what we go through as people. Storms, the storms of life. And there's all kinds of storms that we go through. Uh, in Arizona, we have something called the Arizona summer storms. 
and those are the monsoons. In Arizona, we have storms that come through Arizona, and Arizona's not really built for storms. So the water comes down and our roads can't handle it. Uh, it, just, it is just a mess. In fact, uh, maybe you heard, but 10 people lost their lives a few weeks ago. They died in a flash flood in Arizona. The same really is true with us in our own lives. If the flash floods of life come and the storms of life comes and we're not rooted in Christ, then the storms of life can sweep us away. And so uh, today I wanna talk to you about these storms. Okay, what kind of storms do we go through? Uh, well, one is we go through uh, relational storms, right? Relationship stuff. Some of us are married. Some of us want to be married. I've found that usually the married people, they want to be single again. And the single people wish they were married. It's like this weird thing. We always want what we can't have or what we don't have. And, uh, and so that's why our, our trust and our hope and, and our confidence, it must be in Christ Jesus. But we go through relational storms. A lot of people go through relationship storms with their parents. A lot of parents go through relationship storms with their kids, right? Relation, friendships that are going through tough times, marriages that are going through uh, tough times. Or some people go through financial storms and they're going through a, a financial crisis. Other people go through emotional storms. I meet these kind of people uh, all the time. In fact, in my world, uh, most of the people that I minister to, they have a lot of money. Pro athletes in the United States, they have a lot of money. I mean, these are guys that on the low end, they're making a few million bucks a year. I remember this one time right after chapel, right after a Bible study, I was down at the, the arena and it was the Phoenix Suns. It was versus actually the Golden State Warriors. We got some fans. I brought my, my pastor over here. He's pastor of young adults and teenagers, uh, Justin Waverhand. This is Justin. So he, he, oversees, uh, he oversees seventh grade, which is like 12 or 13 years old, all the way to about 30 years old at our church. He moved from the Bay Area in San Francisco. So he's a Golden State worrier. He's a worrier. So, uh, but it was this game and it was Phoenix and it was Golden State. And I did a Bible study and I shared the message of God and I shared the message of hope. And after Bible study was done, uh, tip off to the game was gonna start in about 15 minutes. 15 minutes till game time. Bible study was over, everybody left. And then in walks this player. He's seven feet tall. He's strong, he's muscular, he's got his uniform on. As soon as he runs out on the court, everybody's gonna go crazy because he's famous and he's got all this money and he can play the game of basketball really well. So we make a God out of him. And he walks back into my, my, my chapel room is connected uh, side by side to the locker room. And he begins to weep and he begins to cry. And he says, hey, my life is a mess. I, I don't know what I'm living for. I have all the money, I have all the fame, I have all the fortune, I have everything that money could buy. I'm married, I have kids, but I don't have purpose in my life. I'm sad, I'm depressed, I feel lonely, even though I'm surrounded by all these people. See, emotional storms, they don't care who you are. An emotional storm doesn't care how much money you have. It doesn't care how famous you are. It doesn't care how powerful you are. An emotional storm, it hits everybody. Another type of storm, and probably the worst storm that we all could go through, or that anyone could go through, would be a spiritual storm. Right, A spiritual storm is that feeling of 
emptiness, that I'm not connected to God. I'm not connected with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Last night I was on Twitter and uh, Pastor Leo, he tweeted a tweet out that said that everyone is made on purpose for purpose. And he's right. Everybody in here, God made you on purpose for a purpose. And until you figure that out, you'll never really understand life, that God made you on purpose for a purpose. That's the reason we exist. So spiritual emptiness, spiritual storms are another storm that we go through. I wanna read to you out of Mark chapter four and look at this story. This is about the disciples in the middle of a storm. Here's what it says. In Mark four, verses 35 uh, through about 40 or so, 41. It says, as evening fell, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took him just as he was, and they started out, and they left the crowds behind, though other boats followed. You know, could you imagine being so famous? Could you imagine being so famous? Like, you're going around, you're healing people, you're helping people see, you, you heal their, their, their hearing, you heal their sickness, you raise the dead, like you're Jesus, right? And you're just trying to get away from it all, and all of a sudden he gets away from it all, but other boats, they start following him. I mean, this is spectacular. And it says that other boats followed behind, and then in verse 37 it says, but soon a terrible storm arose. High waves began to break into the boat until it was nearly full of water and about to sink. Jesus was about to sleep at the back of the boat, or Jesus was asleep at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples frantically, they wakened him, shouting, teacher, don't you even care that we're all about to drown? Then Jesus rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, quiet down, and the wind fell. And there was a great calm. And he asked them, why are you so fearful? Don't you even yet have confidence in me? And the disciples, they were filled with awe, and they said among themselves, who is this man that even the winds and the seas obey him? If you study this Bible, scripture, this context, we learn that it was not just a regular storm, it was a major storm. This was an enormous storm. In fact, the disciples knew all about storms. The disciples, they were on the Sea of Galilee all the time. The Sea of Galilee was known for its storms. That's what they, they were fishermen. They knew about the water, they knew about the storms, but this wasn't just any storm. This was a major, major storm. And some of you today are in the middle of major, major storms. That's why I'm here. When I first started in pro athlete ministry, I have this question asked to me all the time. Because when people hear that I work, uh, serve pro athletes, they have all these questions. Like, one of them is, you know, do you ever get starstruck? And when I first started, I remember being starstruck. I remember the first time I ever laid eyes on first, the first pro athletes, the you know, world-renowned athletes that I would see. I remember walking down the, I remember being 25 years old, just a kid, thinking like, no way, that's so-and-so. No way, that's such-and-such. And, such. and I had a mentor tell me this. I had a mentor that had been working in sports ministry for about 30 years, and he said, I want to tell you something, and I want you to never forget it. I said, okay, I'm all ears. He said, before you go into that locker room, I want you to remember this, that behind every face, 
there's a drama unfolding. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how much money they make. It doesn't matter how many times they're on TV or how distributed they are. Behind every face you can count on it, there's a drama unfolding. And you know what I've realized over the last 20 years of ministry? That if I could sit down with every one of you and you could open up your soul and just be honest with me, you guys have some junk you're going through. Because we all do. We just don't usually like people to know about it, right? We walk by people, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? We really mean like, life is not good right now. I'm going through hell right now. You know, how am I? You got a minute? Can we go get some coffee? Because I'm not doing so good. Behind every face, there's a drama unfolding. And the same is true today. Behind every face, man, we've got some major stories. We've got some major storms. We need some major miracles in our life. The other thing I've discovered about storms is that there's always two responses that we have to storms. Okay? You're, you're in the middle of a storm or you're going to go into a storm. You know you are. You're having marriage problems. You're diagnosed with a sickness or a life-threatening disease or you're going through emotions. You're sad. You're depressed. There's two reactions to every storm, two responses to every storm. One is we can respond with fear. Fear is how the disciples responded. They were afraid. What were the disciples afraid of? They had Jesus in their boat. Could you imagine? They walked around with Jesus. They raised the dead. They healed the sick. They, they, they made the blind see. They gave life to people. They gave hope to people. They saw miracle after miracle. And here they are in a storm and they're paranoid. They're freaking out and full of fear. Fear is a pretty common response to the storm, right? Fear is a pretty common response to the storm. We freak out, we get afraid. I don't know about you, but when I go through storms, I'm afraid, I get fearful at times. Even though the Bible says, have no fear, fear not. Even though there's 365 fear nots in the Bible, one for every day of the year, I still tend to get afraid. I still tend to get worried. God says, don't worry, cast your anxieties onto me because I care for you, right? David said in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall, shall fear no evil. Even though the Bible says all that, I get worried sick. So fear is a pretty common response to the storm. But the other response to the storm is the opposite, and that is the response of faith. So you can respond with fear, or you can respond with faith. And one of the secrets I've learned about life is that faith is the answer to fear. Faith is the biblical response to fear. Okay. Faith is the answer to fear. Can you say that out loud? Faith is the answer to fear. Say it one more time. Faith is the answer to fear. Faith is the biblical response to fear. When I'm afraid, I need to step out of my fear and into my faith. When I'm in the boat and I don't wanna get out of the boat, I don't wanna step out of the boat. I don't know if I'm gonna sink, if I'm gonna swim, if I'm gonna drown, I step out anyway. Faith is the biblical response to fear, okay? If you look in the Bible, we learn about this word courage, okay? Courage. Have courage. In Joshua, God told Joshua, have courage. Be of good courage. In Joshua chapter one, fear not, have courage. Okay. 
Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the answer to fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. If, if you never had any fear, you would never need any courage, right? So courage is the answer to fear. So I can have fear in the storm or I can have faith in the storm. David said, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, God. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. It's like my daughter, Jazz, she's seven and and she thinks she's 16 because she has older teenage brother and sister, right? Jazzy, she hates storms. She hates the thunder. She doesn't like the lightning. She is not a fan. And in Arizona, the summer monsoons come through and the thunder cracks, boom. And I mean, it is loud. It sounds like the sky split open and she hates the storm. She's afraid. But when I'm with her, she's less afraid. And the same is true. God is with us, that God is in our boat, just like he was in the boat with the disciples. Faith is the idea of hope. See, fear thinks the worst, faith thinks the best. Fear thinks the worst, but faith thinks the best. I wanna give you three reasons why today you can have hope in the middle of your storm. Three reasons today you can say, you know what? I'm gonna have hope in the middle of my circumstance. The first reason is this, God is omnipresent, okay? God is omnipresent. What that means is that God is everywhere. Omni means all. Present means that he's present, he's there, he's with us, right? So God is omnipresent. God knows everywhere you're gonna go. He knows everywhere you've been. He knows where you're headed. He sees you going there. He sees you coming out. God is everywhere. There's nowhere you can go where God isn't. Think about that for a minute. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, for God is with me. I can be on the mountaintop. I can be in the valley. I can be in a dark, dark alley. I can be in the light. There's nowhere you can go physically where God isn't there. There's nowhere you can go emotionally where God isn't there. You will never go through a storm alone. It's important. I hope that you never forget that because many people, they feel lonely you might feel lonely, but you're never alone. You might feel like God is sleeping on the back of the boat, but God is always there and he cares for your every need. Okay, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's with you. Just like he was with the disciples in the boat, he's with you. The disciples, man, they had no reason to fear. And we really have no reason to fear either. God is with us. One of my favorite psalm is, and I have a lot of favorites in the, the Bible, 150 chapters in Psalms. And I like, uh, for example, I like Psalm 23. Uh, I like Psalm 51. Okay, Psalm 23 is about when I'm afraid, I've got God, baby, I'm good. You know, Psalm 51 is like when I screwed up, I got God, baby, I'm good. <laughs> you ever screwed up? Anybody ever screwed up? Anybody ever committed a sin? Let me see your hand, you committed a sin? I mean, you committed a really bad sin. Let me see your hand. Like, it's kind of like really bad. Yeah, really bad. What did you do? Let's just, have, let's just be honest with everybody. No, no. Yeah. We've all committed some stupid stuff, right? We've all sinned. The Bible says we all sin, fall short of the glory of God. 
That's why we need a savior. But Psalm 51 is about the, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the repentance of man. I like Psalm 91. It's about the protection of God, right? That God protects us no matter what. I like Psalm 119. It's about the word of God and it directs my life and it's a light into my path. I like Psalm 150. It's about praising God and, and, and singing to God and playing instruments to God. There's a lot of Psalms that I really love, but one of my favorites is Psalm 139. 139, I love this one because this Psalm is so in depth about the power and the knowledge of God and him creating you. And so this is what verses seven through 10 says. David said, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. God, if I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. He says, if I, if I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength, it will support me. So God is everywhere, all the time he is with me. The second reason you can have hope in the middle of a storm is because God is omniscient. Okay, we know what that means. It means that God is all-knowing, omniscience, omniscient. God is all-knowing. God knows everything about everything. There's nothing that God doesn't know. Okay, the Bible says some crazy stuff, like God knows the very number of hairs on your head, you know? For some of you, that's not rocket science, but for God, you know, some of us have thick heads of hair. It's a little harder, you know? God knows everything. He knows everything about everything. There's nothing that God doesn't know. Guess what he knows? He saw the storm coming before the storm even began to happen. He's like the only meteorologist who's never gotten one wrong. He sees the storm coming, he sees the storm going, he knows everything about everything. Hey, you think he didn't know about the storm when he got on that boat? He knew. You know how concerned Jesus was with the storm? The Bible says he was in the back of the boat and he was sleeping and the Bible's so detailed, I love it. It says his head was on a cushion. I was, I've thought, I'm gonna ask God one day, why did you put that in there? Like, why not just say you were taking a nap? No, you said he was sleeping and his head was on a cushion. Well, I think it's because it's the ultimate depiction of incredible peace in the middle of a storm. Such rest at such ease in the middle of the storm that I'm not even concerned about it, man. You guys are worried about this. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? You've been with me this whole time. You know that I'm in control. Why would you fear? It's the perfect depiction of complete peace in the middle of our storm. God is all knowing. Guess what else God knows? He knows everything about you. Which is incredible. He knows the way you think. He knows why you think that way. He knows what you're gonna think, what you're gonna say before you even say it. He knows what you like. He knows what you don't like. He knows where you're tempted the most. He knows where you're weak. He knows where you're strong. He knows everything about you. And he knows what you need to go through to draw you closer to him. One of the things I've learned about myself is that I'm never as 
close to Christ is when I'm in the middle of a crisis. I've learned this about myself. I've learned that my prayer life goes up when my personal life goes down. I've learned that when, 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 when life is hard, I seem, I, I seem to cling to hope more than ever before. My prayer life goes up, like my Bible reading goes up. I'm like, oh God, I just love you. You know I love you, God. Please help me out of this mess. Say it a few million more times. Please help me out of this mess. And one of the things I've thought about, I said, you know, God is probably sitting on the throne and he's probably thinking, Travis, why would I get you out of this mess? I really like your attention right now. (laughs) I'm really enjoying this conversation. See, there's always a purpose behind our problems. You may not ever know it, I may not ever know it, but there's always a purpose behind your problem. There's always purpose behind your pain. God is all-knowing. He, he's all-knowing. All and, and I wanna read this, another uh, part of Psalm 139, uh, verse seven through uh, 10, or I'm sorry, verse one through four. It says, oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it, Lord. He knows everything about you. And the third reason that you can have hope for the, 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 the times of trouble, hope in the middle of your storm, is because number three is God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There is nothing too big for God. If I could take something in my hand right now and I could stick it into your soul, that's what I would put in there. There is nothing too big for God. Because you may not need it now, But there is one day you're going to need this and you're going to need to pull this out of the depths of your soul that nothing is too big for God. Nothing. Nothing. He can do it all. He can do it all at the same time. God is all powerful. There is nothing he can't do. Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but with me, nothing Nothing is impossible. With God, all things are possible. I love the end of the passage in Mark 4 because the disciples, they see Jesus calm the storm. And when Jesus calms the storm, guess what happens? It calms your fears. When the storm is calm, the fears are calm. So Jesus says, peace be still. The storm is calm. The disciples' fears are calm. And the disciples, they go, Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Hey, guess what? That's a 2,000-year-old question. We can ask that to ourselves right now. Who is this man? We sang about it. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And it is all about him. It's all about him. He's all-powerful. Whatever you're going through today, I want you to know that God is 
all-powerful, that he's with you, that he's in your boat with you, that he knows about your situation, he knows about you, and that he's all-powerful. God can fix this, God can heal this, God can set you free, but God can also allow you to go through this because it has purpose and meaning behind it. I don't know if you remember this story, probably everybody knows this story, but there's a story in the Bible about a man named Jonah. Right? Jonah. Not the Jonas brothers, but Jonah. <laughs> Jonah. Um, Jonah was the first Bible story I ever taught. Uh, I became a Christian. Uh, I was almost 18 years old. And I didn't know anything about God. I didn't know anything about the Bible. And my pastor, he came to me and he said, hey, he said, Travis, he said, uh, we need somebody to fill in and teach the second graders at church this weekend. I said, second graders? He said, yeah, they're like seven years old. He said, would you fill in? I said, man, I would be honored to fill in, pastor. Then I started thinking like, what am I gonna talk to seven-year-olds about? You know, what am I, I don't even know the Bible. You think about you for a minute, what would you teach (laughs) seven-year-olds? And I said, oh, you know what, I kind of remember this story about like Jonah and this big fish a big fish. So I said, where would you find that story, right? So you got to remember, this is before like Google. You know, today you can Google. Nah, nah, not back then. There was no Google. There there wasn't an internet, (laughs) no cell phones. You know, there there was just good old-fashioned Bibles. So I went to the pastor's daughter and I said, I'm thinking about teaching on Jonah. I said, could you tell me where I would find this story? And she said, oh, yeah, no problem. It's in the book of Jonah. (laughs) I was like, oh, there's a book called Jonah. That's easy. Just look that up in the front. (laughs) Maybe today you know about Jonah. But if you don't, I can tell you the story about Jonah in a hurry. Cliff Notes version of Jonah. Here's the story. Jonah ran from God. That's it. Take away all the other stuff. Jonah ran from God. Like, well, like some of you are doing today. He ran from God. Like some of you are running from God today. And you know who you are because as soon as I say that, you're thinking like, wow, he's talking to me. Like your heart starts beating. I've been that person in that seat. Like you're running from God. I came from Arizona, a 16-hour flight, basically to tell you you're running from God. I mean, you could have just, I could have put it on Instagram or Twitter. You're running from God. That's the story of Jonah. He's running from, you say running from what? The, The call of God the ask from God. So here it is. God goes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell the people about me. I want you to tell the people of Nineveh about me. Well, the people of Nineveh were wicked. They were evil. They would kill people who loved God. They would skin people alive that loved God. I mean, these people were no joke. Oh, by the way, the Nineveh ruins still exist. They're in Northern Iraq today. So it would be like God coming to you and saying, hey, I'd like a question. Would you go to northern Iraq for me today and preach to ISIS about me? And I'm sure everybody in here is like, oh, yeah, God, sign me up. I'm in. I'll go. 
You know, so Jonah gets a bad rap, but I think I can understand the friction. And he says, no. And not only does he say no, he runs the opposite way from Nineveh, the complete opposite way. In fact, he pays money to go the opposite way. He pays money to get on a boat. So he gets on this boat, and then guess what happens? Well, the storm comes. The storm comes. And it's a big, scary storm, and the boat is rocking, and it's, it's, it's filling up with water, and the boat's about to flip over, and oh, man, everybody on the boat's going to drown, all because of Jonah. You know what's a fascinating, fascinating thought? is that what you say yes to or no to God does not only affect you. It affects so many people. When you say no to God, it does not just affect you. It affects so many other people. And so Jonah goes over to the people. And he's like, yo, this is me, man. I know it's me. He's like me. I'm the storm. God told me. I'm supposed to go to Nineveh. I didn't. It's me. Throw me over, man, and the storm will calm. And the people were like, okay. <laughs> they throw him over. Didn't even have to, like, think about it. Off. Get rid of him. <laughs> and then the storm comes. The storm comes. And then as we know the story, a big fish, a big fish, man. Uh, it must have been a big fish. Big fish comes and swallows Jonah. And Jonah's inside the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, which is a symbol of Christ dying and being in a tomb for three days and three nights. And then the fish decides he's getting sick, spits Jonah up. Where? On the shores of Nineveh. It's like, no, you're going there. One way or the other. And see, when you run from God, God's not going to let you go. You can keep running and running and running and running and running and running. But if you keep running, God is not going to let you go. See, here's the thing about God. You cannot outrun God. You can try, but you can't do it. Because God is everywhere. I want to ask you if you'll bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And I want to close with two things today, two things. The first one is this. Today, many of you, you're running from God. You're running from God. You're trying to live life on your own. You're running from the ask of God. You're running from the call of God. You're running from the purpose of God. You're running from a relationship with God. You're running from God. And you know who you are because you can feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. And today, if you're running from God with, with, with everybody, just please, heads bowed, eyes closed, no, no looking around. But if you say today, Pastor Travis, that's me. That's me. This message is for me. I am running. That's me, man. I, I, I admit it. I'm running from God. Would you just lift your hands so I can see it? 
I already see a lot of hands. Anybody else? You can put your hand down. And with your eyes closed, I just want to tell you that I am proud of you. I'm proud of you. to lift your hand. And if that was you today, I want you to pray this prayer just quietly from your heart. Dear Jesus, today I am no longer going to run from you. Today, I'm gonna run to you. Today, God, in every way that I know how, I surrender my life to you. God, I want to live for you. Jesus, I want to live for you because you died for me. Oh, God, forgive me. God, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. Thank you for giving me another chance. God, fill me with your spirit and let me run for you. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just one more question I have today. As I know, this is my third service in Zurich this weekend. My fifth service in Switzerland this last eight days. And every service, it ends the same with a huge response to God. But today you say, Pastor Travis, I am going through a storm. I'm in the middle of a storm. Maybe people don't even know about it, but you're in a storm today. And you need Jesus to calm your storm. Or maybe today you know somebody who's in a storm and they're not here today, but you can stand in their behalf. If you want to be prayed for today, I want to pray from you. Would you just lift your hand so I can see it? God, I pray for every hand that's lifted high right now. God, every hand that says, Jesus, I'm in the middle of a storm. Oh God, would you Would you do what you do, God? God, would you do the impossible? God, we know that you're all powerful. God, we know that you're all knowing. God, we know that you're everywhere all the time. Today, God, would you do the impossible? God, would you calm the storm? God, we know that you're in our boat with us. And God, we pray that even as we're in this storm, God, that we put our trust in you. Mi hija en tu
Manchmal frage ich mich, wenn alles andere versagt und zerbricht, was bleibt zurück? Warum sind wir von überall hierher gekommen? Weil am Ende vom Tag nichts anderes Bestand hat. Wie würde das aussehen? Was wären die Konsequenzen von etwas so Radikalem? Wie würde es aussehen, Jesus tatsächlich zu folgen? Freundschaften können zerbrechen, Karriere vergehen und am Ende wird Reichtum wertlos. Er weckt einen Durst für Wahrheit, Mitgefühl und Liebe, den nichts auf dieser Welt jemals löschen kann. Worauf können wir also wirklich unser Leben, unsere Hoffnung bauen? Es gibt nur die einzige Sache, wenn alles gesagt und getan ist. Er allein ist unser Fels, unsere Mitte und unser Fundament.